It started out quite small, one man calling a small group of men to drop what they were doing and to come after him. There didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to the selection of these men. I mean, some were educated and some were uneducated. There were some who were well-to-do and others who were poor. There were those who were boisterous and those who were soft-spoken. There were those who were respected and those who were rejected. There were honest ones and dishonest ones. But mostly, they were just ordinary. And yet, brought together under the leadership of this one unique man, forged together through the furnace of suffering, committed to one supreme cause and empowered by the Spirit of God, these men set about turning the world upside down. That's not the story of Grace Fellowship. It's the story of Jesus. And those he called that we know as apostles, but were simply called disciples or followers. And yet that is part of our story as church. What began nearly two millennia ago, it still goes on today. Jesus is still in the business of calling ordinary people with faults and failures to come together and follow him. He didn't say, after you fix yourself up, after you fix all your problems, after you get rid of all your quirks and idiosyncrasies, then you can come and follow me. Instead, he said, you come just as you are and leave the rest to me. That's the Jesus plan. And that's why 10 years ago, we came together to begin this new work. I want to say at the very start how grateful I am for the boldness of those who took that first courageous step out of their comfort zone and into something new with with absolutely no sense of success or failure, just a sense that this is the direction that Jesus was calling. I also want to express my gratitude for the opportunity to have served as the pastor of our mother church, First Baptist Church of Greensboro. In the course of those months and years that I was there, there were some tough decisions that were made and some tears that were shed and some restless nights before First Baptist came together and voted to become two churches. But I can say without a doubt Knowing my brother Rick Herman at First Baptist, he and I are good friends. And God has reached more people for Jesus Christ through this than he could have otherwise. I am absolutely sure of it. And so here we are 10 years later. This week, part of what I've been doing is just kind of letting the memories flood back. Being able to see newborn babies and newborn Christians. Seeing the tears of loss and also seeing the smiles of contentment. I've seen men and women and young people with their sleeves rolled up outside the walls of this church helping those in need. 
I see small groups coming together, not just to study God's word, but to encourage and support one another and to help each other apply what God is teaching in their lives. I see volunteers here on Sunday morning working with our children, but I also see volunteers in classrooms at the schools reading to children, loving on children, and letting them know that they're special and that they can do more. I've seen meals being delivered to those who are hungry and nails being driven into habitat homes. I've seen clothes being made and provided for those who are needy, songs being sung in worship, people kneeling in brokenness and rising up in new strength, and loving hugs, not just given in the safety of a sanctuary, but given behind bars at Greene County Jail. And I've heard children singing, Jesus loves me. This I know. These are part, just a small part, of the flood of images that rushed across my heart and mind as I considered what God had done in the last 10 years. And and this is what I want to tell you this morning. It's simple. I believe with all my heart the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now, having said that, I'm not so short-sighted as to think there won't be challenges and there won't be struggles and there won't be heartache because, indeed, there will be all of those and more. But I promise you that together we will overcome the challenges and endure the struggles. We may feel the heartaches, but we will be there to wipe one another's tears and we will smile again. Because we know that we have a God who is working all things, all things, all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We have a God who is not only to help us overcome difficulties, but one who will actually take those difficulties and use them to draw us more closely to him and more closely to one another if we'll let him. You see, Satan's busy starting fires, but God can use those exact same fires as a furnace to purify us and to give us a heart like his son Jesus' heart. There's a danger, of course, after 10 years. After 10 years, a church becomes established. I've been joking in our beginning with grace class because we say that grace fellowship is a new church and I'm, I, I, for the last few years I've been saying I'm not sure exactly when you can stop using the word new I mean if you compare it to some things it still would be new but I guess after 10 years maybe new is, is uh, not the word we ought to be using we really become after 10 years more established we've got constitution and bylaws we've got procedures we kind of got a way we, we, we do things And the danger is, instead of seeing ourselves as fishers of men, we can become keepers of the aquarium. We get satisfied with the status quo. Our passion 
is turned down a bit. And we become afraid to take risks because, well, we don't want to lose what we have. And then when that happens, we become resistant to changing our methods. Again, we never change our message, but change in our methods. Because when we do, it moves us out of our comfort zone. And we talked about this in Bible study this morning. All of us like to be comfortable, don't we? We all do. And when Jesus' call leads us outside that comfort zone, it becomes a challenge as to whether we will follow. And so let me sum that up. The danger is that a church becomes about me and what I want, my comfort level, rather than about Jesus and his call to follow him wherever he goes and whatever the cost. For those of you who were here last week, I asked you to pray daily this simple prayer. So just a small portion of the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, but it is a challenging prayer to be sure. And that prayer is this, not my will, but yours be done. What a hard, I mean, it's easy to pray. I mean, the words just kind of bounce off our lips, but it's hard to actually live out that prayer because, quite frankly, our wills and God's will a lot of times come into conflict. And then we have to make a choice. It's what Henry Blackaby in Experiencing God called a crisis of belief. When we're confronted with the truth, at that point, we can determine will we follow that truth or will we turn away from their truth. The reason this is such a dangerous prayer is it moves us It moves Jesus out of the co-pilot seat and into the pilot seat. And we have to climb over into the back seat. But the fear, of course, there is we can still be a back seat driver and aggravate him to death. We have to submit our desires, our wills, to his desire and his will. In other words, we have to give him the rightful place as Lord of our lives. And we have to follow, fall into step behind him wherever he leads and whatever the, we call, whatever the cost. And as we seek to worship together and to fellowship together inside these walls, we also know that God has called us to get outside these walls where we can serve others and share Jesus. We can only remain consistently the people of God if we're able to get outside the walls and be the people of God. If we get locked up, if we get bound in, if this becomes all there is, then quite frankly, no matter how many songs we sing and how many sermons you hear and how many notes you take and how many Bible studies you go to, you cannot be the people of God locked inside the walls of a building. You can only be the people of God if you're following where Jesus leads. And Jesus does lead us in here, but he also leads us out of here. And when we came together as a church, we said we don't want to be just every other church on the corner. We felt like God had a unique call for us. And that kind of crystallized in a statement that we've heard, we've seen, but after a while it becomes background noise, even when it's plastered in huge letters As you walk in the front door all the time, believe, belong, 
become. It can become for us background noise. That is, we end up missing it, overlooking it. It loses its potency, even though it's in front of our eyes all the time. When we came together, we said that Grace Fellowship exists to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. God the Father loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins so that man, sinful man, could have a right relationship with God. And then he met with his disciples after his resurrection and before he ascended into heaven. And he gave them a commission to go and to make disciples, to share with others what they themselves had found and to follow that with all their hearts, to not give up on the mission, to not give up on the spread of the gospel and the evidence of it by showing love and compassion and grace to people. We want to pick up on that. We want to follow that. That's who we are. That's in our DNA as a church. And so from that came believe, belong, become. And and what are we asking you when we ask you to believe, belong, become? It's pretty simple. First of all, we're calling people to believe in Jesus and those who do believe to grow in their faith. We're calling people to believe in Jesus and to grow in that belief, to grow in that faith. There's only one hope for humanity. That's it. It is not in a political party. It's not in a system of government. The only hope for humanity is Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Here, folks, there is no compromise. We will change our methods, but we will never change this message. Here, there is no wiggle room. There is no gray. It's pretty well set out clearly for us in black and white. Unless you've got a red letter version, then it's in red and white. What we say in our statement of belief is this. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifests in the flesh, his virgin birth, his sinless human life, his divine miracles, his vicarious and atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his ascension, his mediatorial work, and his personal return in power and glory. Salvation is found only in him by grace through faith. That will not change. That is core to who we are as the people of God. And we began on our first Sunday proclaiming the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation, for life, and for hope. And we will continue to proclaim that same message until Jesus comes back in power and glory. And so we call people to place your faith in Jesus as your only hope. But we don't want you to stop there. We want you then to grow, to grow, to grow, to grow daily in that faith and become more like him. The more we know Jesus, the more we spend time with Jesus, 
the more we know his heart and the more we can become like him. It's only when we become like him that we're truly going to make a difference in this world. And so we call people to believe, but we also call people to belong, to belong to a grace group, to connect with other believers. And from the very outset, we made it abundantly clear that God never called us to go it alone when it comes to the Christian life. Jesus' desire was for us to overcome the things that divide us and to come around the centrality of Jesus who unites us. I had a conversation earlier before we came in here uh, with Tom Ertle. And Tom asked me a question, a real simple question. And uh, he said, did you ever think it would be this hard? And what he meant by that was this. Th- this is what we're saying. We recognize that we set out on a mission to reach people not on a homogeneous level, that is, they're all like us, but to reach out across races, across socioeconomic lines, across cultural differences, and to to meet people where they were and not to be scared to bring them to be a part of us. That's what we set out to do. And so the answer I had to him was, no, I never knew it'd be this hard. Because I got to tell you, once you build up your cultural walls, once you build up your racial walls, once you build up your economic walls, they're awfully hard to come down. It's so easy to live within those walls, to live within that territory that you've charted out and invite people who are just like you to come live there with you. But what is the testimony that we want to have for this community and this world? That greater is the one who brings us together than the things that separate us. That we are showing the evidence of the mercy and the grace of God by simply bringing people who are different together because they agree, agree in the centrality of Jesus Christ. And so we call them to come and to connect and to belong, to be a part of Jesus body. The apostle Paul said, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Took me a long time to realize that last portion of that verse. We all understand each of us belongs to God that each of us belongs to all the others. That's true in our body. I mean, we don't just jettison body parts because, ah, that's a little different. You know, that, that big toe's looking a little funny. Let me just, let me lop that one off. No, we don't do that because we recognize that toe is actually connected to the rest of the body. It's intertwined with the rest of my body. And if I don't believe it, all I need to do is get up in the middle of the night and kick the uh, refrigerator or, to, you know, to kick the, well, you don't kick the dog, but uh, some piece of furniture to run into something unexpected. Then you realize just how much your toe is connected to the rest of your body. Because when that thing hurts, everything hurts. We got testimony going on over here. <laughs> and so what we said was we belong together. God never designed us 
to be a part. You can get lost in a crowd and you can get lonely when you're alone. But when you connect to a small group of believers who pray with you, who encourage you, who challenge you, who hold you accountable and who help you understand and apply God's word in your life, good things happen. You grow together. You serve together. You laugh together. You cry together. You celebrate together. You grieve together. You worship together. You pretty much do life together. And you recognize that we're in it together. We were made. We were made for community. And our faith is stunted when we disconnect from it. And so we call people to believe and we call people to belong. But we also call them to become more like Jesus daily in their attitude and their action. We want people to believe, absolutely. We want them to belong, yes. But believing and belonging should lead to life change. And that life change is to become more like Jesus. That's what the life change is. This is how we know we are in him, John wrote. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. This is how we know we're in him. This is the evidence that something has happened inside us. If we claim to live in Christ, then our lives need to start looking like the life of Jesus. Our world and our community, they need desperately living, breathing examples of what it means to follow Jesus. They don't need any more artificial examples. There are plenty of cultural Christians out there, but they need people who are living out their faith on a daily basis. We will never make a difference in this world if we aren't different from the world. If our values and our lifestyles track right along with our culture, then we will then become indistinct from our culture. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to go out and live like the Amish. But I am saying what Paul said. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't mean that we become holier than thou. That we become critically judgmental of people who aren't like us, like the Pharisees were. But it means that we consider how we spend our time and how we spend our money. Where we go and what we say. And yes, even what we put on our Facebook wall. It means that our lives will be distinctly different in noticeable ways. The world is filled with popular people who set the pace, who set the trends for the culture. But God's word says, you, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so today and every day after, Grace Fellowship is a community of believers 
who believe in Jesus and are determined to grow in that faith, who belong to the body of Christ by being intimately connected to a small group, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Because remember, we belong to one another. And a community of faith that will allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us to make us more like Jesus daily in our attitudes and actions. And I invite you today, as I did 10 years ago, to become a part of something that God is doing that can radically change you, it can radically change your family, and it can radically change this community as it's already starting to do and change this world. Some of you need to believe to take that step of faith. Some of you need to belong, to connect with the body of Christ. And some of you need to simply come before the Savior and say, I told you many years ago that you could come and live in my heart. But today, today I say I want to follow you.